Welcome to the Harmony Christian Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by today's message from Pastor Josh Shoemaker. Luke chapter 15, Jesus is, is it, the, the chapter starts with Jesus preaching to the crowds and the kind of crowd that he was drawing was people that were full or people that were, um, were known in the, in the land and the, in the country as the sinners and the tax collectors, the, the people in, uh, that, that were, had bad reputations. And these were the kind of people that were being drawn to Jesus as he was teaching. And of course, the Pharisees and the scribes, you know the Pharisees and the scribes were, were religious because they were complaining, right? <laughs> That's the dead giveaway. They were complaining about the crowd that Jesus was drawing. And they said, this man is receiving sinners and tax collectors and he eats with them. And they were complaining about the crowd that Jesus was drawing. And so the rest of the chapter is Jesus, his response to the Pharisees. And he does this using three parables. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Again, the main parable I want to talk about this morning will be about the lost son. But before we dive into that parable, we have to kind of lay the groundwork for the text and you need to understand that these three parables are not meant to be told independently of one another, but they are deeply connected in one another. And that these, they're deeply connected in that they tell the profound story of how the Trinity views the lost, how the Father, the Son, and the Spirit view the lost. So in the parable of the lost sheep, the good shepherd, which represents the Son, Jesus, leaves his pasture, and then he doesn't stop searching for the lost sheep until he hoists it up on his shoulders and carries it home. In the parable of the lost coin, the woman, which represents the Holy Spirit, searches for the lost coin using the lamp to illuminate the room until it is found. And in the parable of the lost son, the father, which represents God the Father, runs to the lost son, places him back into his rightful position as a son. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the gospel. It's not that we escape judgment and get to go to heaven, but that when we were displaced, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit stopped at nothing until we were returned. This is the gospel. And Luke chapter 15 presents the gospel, I think, just, as, just um, better than almost any chapter in the Bible. So we're going to look here in Luke chapter 15 and specifically at the lost son. So if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 15, we're going to look first there in verse 11. It says, Then he said, then he said, he being Jesus, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land and he began to be in want. 
Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of the country, and he sent him into his field to feed the swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to the father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put on the ring and on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is now alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what, was things, or what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has, re- he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore the father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I have been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I may be married with my friends." That's how they used to party back in the day. But as soon as the son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to me, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should be make, make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost, but now is found. Let's pray. Jesus, we honor you. God, I thank you for your word. God, I pray today that, that as, as, we, as the word comes forth, as I preach your word, that it would be, Lord, uh, not with human wisdom, but it would be in the demonstration of the spirit and power, that our faith would not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. God, I just pray that today, that those who uh, already, already know you as Lord and as Father, God, would walk away today with a renewed realization of your love for them. And those here today who maybe struggle uh, in sin cycles and struggle with their worthiness, Father, God, that they would leave today knowing the Father's love for them. God, we honor you in all that we say and do today. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. The parable starts off in verse 11. It says, a certain man had two sons. In all three parables, the term lost implies ownership. So in the first parable, you have the lost sheep that belongs to the shepherd. In the lost coin, you have the coin, but the coin belongs to the woman. And in the parable of the lost son, the son belongs to the father. You cannot be lost 
unless you already belonged. Let me say that again. You can't be lost unless you already had a place that you belonged. Before the son was ever lost, he belonged to the father. He had a place at the father's table. He had a place called home in his father's house. I want to say this to you this morning. Your origin is not orphan. From the beginning, you were created by him and in his image. Your story may have had a chapter where you were lost and away from the father. But that is not chapter one of the story. That is not how your story began. You began in the father's house. You started belonging to the father. That is your origin story. You didn't start as a sinner. You started as beloved. That's where you were born. You belong in the circle dance. You belong at the father's table. You belong in the seat called beloved. Amen. You did not begin as sinner. You began as beloved. In order to be lost, you first have to have a place to belong. Amen. And that is where we began. So a certain man had two sons. And it says that the younger son decided that he didn't want to live under his father's authority anymore. He decided that he wanted to have what the father had independent of the father. So instead of living under the father's authority, he asked the father if he could go ahead and have his inheritance, what the father had, but he wanted his inheritance early so that he could then leave and become independent of the father. The son who enjoyed the riches of the father decided he wanted what the father had, but independent of the father. And this immediately takes me back to the garden because this is exactly what happened in Genesis chapter one and two. Adam and Eve had everything the father had. They had the authority of the father. The father placed the, his authority on them to take care of the animals and the earth. They had the father's authority. They were created and made in his image. They could have whatever they wanted and needed from the father. But when they ate of the tree in the garden, they were in essence saying, I want to enjoy this earth apart from your authority. I want what you have, but I want it independent from you. I want to gain access to that knowledge separate from you. And so the fall in the garden was not just an act of disobedience. It was a decision to be independent. It was a decision to have their own independence apart from the father's authority. And this is what the son wanted, the prodigal. He wanted the riches of the father. He wanted his inheritance, what the father had, but he wanted it independent of the father. And it didn't take very long for the son to realize that independence has consequences. In verse 13, we see that the son goes away and he begins to live wildly, it says. He spends all of his inheritance with wild living. And as he 
after he spends all of his inheritance on wild living, he becomes in need. He realizes that, that all of the inheritance is gone and there's still a need there, that, that, that it wasn't quite enough. And, and um, um, I, I, this, this reminded me of a story, the independence part, the independence has consequences before we get deeper into the sun. Um, once when I was around 10 years old, my mom and dad decided that they wanted to go on vacation without their kids, which I never understood until you have kids, right? <laughs> but I was around 10 years old, but my siblings were all much older than me. And uh, so my, my nearest sibling to me, there's four of us all together, my nearest sibling to me is eight, eight or nine years older than I am. And then it goes up from there. So my oldest sister was probably in her early 20s at this time. And so mom and dad left on vacation and they left my siblings in charge of me. And uh, every now and then grandma would check in, right? So we had some independence. During this week of independence, under my brother and my two sisters care and my grandma checking in every now and then, for the entire week, I did not shower. I did not take a bath. I did not even wipe down with a moist towelette the whole week, right? Wild living, you know, absence of the parent's authority, the father and the mother's authority. Not only that, while mom and dad were gone, we decided we wanted a new pet, two new pets, actually. And so we went out and bought some hamsters and uh, while mom and dad were gone, one of them didn't make it because my nephew uh, loved it too much one day. <laughs> so we bought the hamsters and mom and dad come home and they're like, what is that smell between me and the hamsters? There was, <laughs> there was a new smell in the room, right? Independence has consequences. And the son found out quickly that independence has consequences, that as he wasted all of his inheritance... There was no wisdom there, right? He had all the father had, but no wisdom to know how to use that inheritance. So what did he do? He wasted it. He wasted it. Independence has consequences. Once he realized that his inheritance was wasted, he became in need. And this reminds me of Proverbs chapter 29. It says, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. But happy is he who keeps the law. So in independence, in his independent state, he cast off restraint and he became, he found himself in need. When he realizes that he was in need, it says in verse 15 and 16, it says that he goes to a citizen of that country, right? So he becomes in need, but he still doesn't go home to the father. He still tries to figure it out on his own. So he goes to a citizen and finds a place where he can work. And it says that the citizen gave him a job to feed the swine. And I love what it says next. It says that he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But he still, but, but then it says, but then nobody gave him anything. There was a void on the inside of him. And he was looking for a way to fill that void. 
He was looking for a way to satisfy that hunger. And he would have gladly satisfied it with the muck and the dirty thing that the pigs eat. But even though he would have been fine with that, nobody would give him anything. It still could not satisfy that void. Isn't that where the world, many in the world are today? They have a void on the inside of them. And they're looking in all kinds of different places to satisfy it. But they cannot find a way to, be, to, to satisfy the hunger on the inside of them. And that's where the prodigal found himself. Hungry, broken, wasted all of his inheritance, but still completely unsatisfied. Unsatisfied. And so what he decides to do, it says that he came to himself Plato, the, the uh, uh, philosopher, says that he believes that's what salvation is, is it's coming to yourself. I think that might be a little bit skewed. I think it's really coming to the Father, isn't it? But it says that he comes to himself and he realizes that back at home, even the servants in my father's house have more than enough to eat. Even the slaves in my father's house feast every night. And he thinks to himself, it'd be better for me to go back to my father's house as a slave than it would be for me to stay on this path and this journey that I'm on. And he thinks to himself, but I can't just, just go back and expect everything to be hunky-dory, right? I can't just go back and expect everything to be fine. So he begins rehearsing this line in his head. He, said, he, he begins saying to himself, this, this is what I'm going to say to the Father. Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants and accept me back into the house. And so he gets the language all together. And he begins walking back home to his father's house. And the whole time he's walking back home, he's just rehearsing this line, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm not worthy to be called your son anymore. And he begins, he just is rehearsing. He doesn't know how the father's gonna respond or react to them. Is his father gonna kick him out? He just keeps rehearsing the line, Father, I've sinned against heaven and your sight. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And this is his mentality, that I'm gonna come home to the father and I'm not worthy enough to be called his son anymore. So I'm going to just accept the fact that I can come home and at least be a servant in the father's house. I'll return as a servant, but not as a son. And because so many of us as Christians feel unworthy to be called sons and daughters, I believe we have primarily made our relationship with the father about serving We know that we're called sons. We know that we're called sons and daughters. But there's so many of us that still feel something on the inside of us that says we're just not worthy of that title. So our primary outlet to be Christians is servanthood. How can I be used by God? How many of you have heard or said that expression? How can I be used by God? What can I do for the kingdom? 
We serve in classrooms. We serve on boards. We serve at missions. We serve on worship teams. We give financially. Some of us go on and become pastors and preachers and missionaries and evangelists and all of these things. And there's so many of the people that have the title Christian that their primary relationship with the Father is a servant. How can I best serve the kingdom? By the way, this is not just the prodigal son's problem. It's the older son's problem as well. His mentality is, how can I best serve the father to earn his favor? To earn my inheritance, to earn the authority of the father. What can I do to serve the father? It's Mary and Martha. Martha serves the people there as, as the Lord is invited into her house. And it's not that her serving was bad, just like it's not bad to serve in the kingdom. It's just that there's a better posture. There's a better place to serve from. And it's at his feet. The father doesn't want servants. He wants sons and daughters. We have to change our mentality that we serve to earn his favor because we don't serve to earn his favor. We serve from his favor. We serve in classrooms and on boards and, and, and other areas within the church. We become pastors and teachers and missionaries and evangelists, not because we have to do something to earn his love and his favor and acceptance. We serve from his love, his favor, and acceptance. That our primary relationship with the Father is not servants, it's sons and daughters. But the son, the prodigal, still feels the only way that the Father is going to accept him back into his house is if he comes as a servant and not a son. So he rehearses the line. He rehearses the line over and over again. Finally, he gets to the edge of the property. And he's about to walk onto his father's property. And the father is, is working his field or he's at his home. And off in the distance, he sees this shadow coming towards the house. Instantly, the father recognizes the silhouette and knows that it's his son. So what does the father do? He drops everything and takes off running. And he runs and he runs and he runs until finally he meets his son. And it says there that when he meets his son, he immediately embraces him. He falls on his neck and begins to kiss him. The prodigal son, who I'm sure was a little bit taken back by the father's response, begins to recite his line that he had memorized to the father. He says, Father, I have sinned in your heaven and in your sight. Make me like one of your servants. And before the son could ever even get the words out, the father completely ignoring what he's saying, he turns around and he begins yelling to his servants, kill the fatted calf. Bring the ring and the robe and a pair of sandals. My son was lost, but now is found. And this is the father's response. Not condemnation, not guilt, not a lecture, not, well, you're going to have to earn your way back. No, no, no. His response was to immediately pull him back into his place as a son of the father. This is the father's response. 
the father's response is he doesn't want a servant. He wants a son. And here's what I love about this story. The son didn't even come back home because of a renewed love for his father. He didn't come back home because all of a sudden he realized the error of his way and came home to repent. No, he came home to survive. He came home simply to survive. His declaration of independence didn't reap the harvest that he had expected. He thought that independence from the father would mean that there'd be more freedom to do whatever he wanted to, that he would find joy in this wild living, in this wild lifestyle, that he would find a new lifestyle apart from the authority of his, and government of his father. But instead, what he found was bondage and gloom and a life that leads to death. His friends that he made on this wild journey shifted their allegiance when all of a sudden he ran out of money and he found himself alone on the journey. He didn't come home with a burning desire to see his father, but because he was trying to just stay alive. And his father was perfectly okay with that. The son didn't come home with a burning desire to see his father. He came home to just stay alive and the father was completely and perfectly fine with that. The father sa it says the father was moved with compassion and he ran to his son. Notice in the story, the father doesn't ask him any questions about his time away. He doesn't begin to lecture him on customs and the right way to do all of this. He didn't bully him in any way. He didn't check his motivations. He left all paternal discretion at the door and just welcomed his son home. This is what the parable is telling us. We don't have to shift our hearts and analyze our intentions before we return home. We don't have to get ourselves all polished up and cleaned up. We don't have to discipline ourselves with guilt and condemnation and shame and humiliation. We don't have to be shredded with sorrow or crushed by, by the, the shame that we have put on ourselves. Even if, I love this, even if there's still something in us that longs for the prodigal lifestyle, our Abba falls on our neck and kisses us. He doesn't expect us to be perfect. I love one of my favorite verses. While we were yet sinners, that little statement changes the whole game, doesn't it? Before we could clean ourselves up, before our motivations were completely pure. Before we even had any desire to come home and be with the Father. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the Father, our Abba, falls on the Son's neck and kisses him. He seeks no explanation for the sudden appearance. He's just happy he's home.
He's just happy he's home. And some, some, might, some might wonder about that. I would say this. Even if you come home and there's still a little bit of longing for that prodigal lifestyle, the Father's love, the Father's reaction to bring you home, all of a sudden, all of that hunger and all of that desire that may have even been there when you came home will eventually dissipate when you realize the goodness of the Father. When you realize how good it is to be in the house of the Lord, all of that prodigal lifestyle won't be appealing anymore because of the goodness of the Father. So the son comes home. The father falls on his neck and embraces him. Then he calls for the ring and the robe and the sandals. Don't miss this in the story. These all mean something. The sandals mean something. Back in that culture and that custom, to be barefoot was a symbol and status of slavery. So by putting the shoes on his son's feet, he was reinstating his status as a son and not a slave. The ring and the robe represent the authority of the father. The ring of the father would allow for him to make transactions on the father's behalf. The robe was generally passed down from, from, from generations and it represented the legacy and the authority of the family. So when he put this, the robe on the son's shoulders, he was saying that the authority of your grandfathers rests on your shoulders. You see this in the Bible in Genesis chapter 41 when Joseph gains favor from the Pharaoh that the Pharaoh places the, the ring, the insignia ring of the Pharaoh on his, on his finger and places his robe on Joseph's shoulders. It was signifying that Joseph carried the authority of the Pharaoh, that he can make transaction uh, that, uh, on behalf of the Pharaoh. You see it also with, uh, in the story of Queen Esther with, Mo with Mordecai, her uncle. When the king promotes Mordecai, what does he do? He puts a ring on his finger and he puts a robe on his shoulders to show that he carries the weight and the authority of the king. And so what is the father doing? He's putting the sandals on his feet to announce that he's not a slave, he's a son. He's putting the ring and the robe on him to announce that not only is he my son, he carries my authority. And he carries the, the generational legacy of the family. He carries the family name. He represents my family. It's amazing to me that in verse 22, that the father doesn't just celebrate on his own, but he gathers the entire community together. The entire community gets involved in the son's restoration. You would think most in the community would have thought, the son has disgraced the family, lived wildly, wasted all of his money. And now that he's lost everything, he comes home and just pretends everything's okay. Many of us may think this way even about ourselves. I'm going to have to work my way back into sonship or the good graces of the father. But the father says, I won't tolerate that kind of thinking in my house. And he gathers the whole community together to be involved in the restoration. I believe that it's a picture of what the body of Christ is to look like. It's not just the pastor or the counselors or the elders but the family of God is involved in the restoration of those who are lost. And we celebrate together, amen?
Verse 25, we see a little bit about the older son who refuses to go into the feast, even though it would have been culturally his responsibility as the oldest son to help host the meal and the celebration. And by not helping host the meal and the celebration, he actually brought shame and disgrace on his father in that culture. And if you remember who Jesus is speaking to in this parable, it's the religious leaders, the keepers of the law, who are represented here in the older son. The older son thought that he had to earn his inheritance. So he worked and he worked and he worked. And I love the father's response. Do you not realize that all that I have is already yours? It's always been available to you. It's always been here for you to enjoy and to take pleasure in. You don't have to earn it. You're my son. You get to inherit it. It's yours. You see, even though the, the son in the story, the prodigal and the older son who was home and worked, even though they had two different ways of living, two ways of doing thing, things, they both had the same problem. Neither of them realize that their acceptance doesn't come from their own goodness, but the goodness of the Father. Even though they had two ways of doing things, even though one went out and lived wildly and one stayed back and did everything right, both of them had the same issue. They both thought they had to work for their placement as sons. But they didn't. Because their goodness doesn't come from them. It comes from their father. Their status doesn't come from what they can do. It comes from the goodness of the father. And there's so many in the world that are lost right now that we're praying get found. But there's so many in the church who are doing all of the right things. Still trying to earn their place in the kingdom. And I'm here to tell you this morning, you don't have to earn anything that you are a son and a daughter. You have the inheritance of the Father, that all the Father has is yours. It says that all the spiritual gifts in heavenly places are already yours, ready to access, not because of anything you can do, not because you serve harder than anybody else, but because he loves you, and that's it. You don't have to earn anything. It's the Father's goodness that brings us to repentance. It's funny how we've made, yeah, it's kindness. Who said that? I heard, I did say that. It's the kindness of God that brings us to repentance. It's funny how we made the focus of the story about the prodigal son. Have you ever noticed how we do that? That all of the titles of the stories, of many of the stories in the Bible, you have, you have the lame man at the gate. He's not lame anymore, Right? Or we have, have the blind man, or we have, the, uh, we have all, all of these people who are defined by their dysfunction. After the encounter with Jesus, they're not dysfunctional anymore, right? And we've made this story, the highlight of this story, about the prodigal son. This story is not just about the prodigal son. It's not the main focus of the prodigal son. This parable is not about how prodigal the son is. It's about how good the father is. 
The focus is not on the son's behavior. It's about the father's reaction. Let me say that again. This parable is not about the prodigal's prodigalness. This story is about the father's reaction to the son. Go ahead and pull that picture up for me, Cam. This has one, become one of my favorite pictures, one of my favorite paintings. It's by, painted by a man named Charlie McKeezy, and it's called The Prodigal Son. Little story, backstory about this, this painter, Charlie. He was an atheist for most of his life. And uh, he was actually, he's got this really funny, kind of funny testimony. He, he had been an atheist for most of his life, and the Lord had just been kind of slowly working on his heart. And one day he was in a porter potty, of all places. And he heard some, some Christian music outside. I can't remember which song was playing, but he heard this song. And uh, the Lord began to grip him in this song. And it says that there in the porter potty, he just begins weeping. How many are brave enough to say you've weeped in a porter potty before? Oh, hey, we got one. All right. He begins weeping in this porter potty as the love of God begins to just envelop him. He says, he said he turned to, to do something and he slipped and he, he said he fell and he said that he basically he stopped and he, he said not to be graphic, but some stuff got all over me, right? As I turned in this porter potty. And he said, instantly the Lord spoke to him and he said, I love you no matter what stuff you find yourself in. And in that moment, this longtime atheist gets saved and finds the love of God. And somewhere along that journey, he paints this painting. And his handwriting, is a, for, for a guy who paints so beautifully, his handwriting is pretty awful. And so it's hard to, hard to read. He kind of looks like a left-hander, right? <laughs> so I want to read to you what this, this painting says in the background. It says, this is the story of the prodigal son. It should really be called the running father who waited every day for his boy to return. The boy who had rejected him so badly. And finally, when he had seen him from a long way off, his father ran to him and hugged him and kissed him. I love the way Charlie titles this story. And I think from now on, I'm not gonna call this the prodigal son. I'm gonna call this the running father. Because once again, this story is not about how lost the son was. It's about how good the father is. Charlie painted another painting that was really similar for a friend who was bipolar and struggled. This, this lady struggled with feeling loved because of her condition. And he said he, he knows that I could tell her that God loves her. And he said, but oftentimes people hear that and it goes in one ear and out the other. So he said, I'm gonna use my artistic ability and I'm gonna show her how God feels about her. And so he said, he, he painted this painting for her and he handed it to her. And all he said was, this is what God's like. He said, the lady had described to him before that that she wanted to know what it's like to be held. So he painted this and he said, this is what the father's like. This painting says something just a little bit different. It says, this is the story 
of the prodigal daughter who had so many reasons for staying away. But when she finally came home, her father ran to her and hugged her and kissed her and hushed her with his love. And she found he had been waiting and waiting every day for her to come home. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. Not that we were some abandoned dog on the side of the road that God decided to allow into heaven, but that we are sons and daughters who may have had a chapter in our life where we had decided to become independent and try to do things on our own. But the gospel is, is that when we decide to return, even if we're not perfectly cleaned up or our motivations are completely pure, the gospel is, is that the father comes running. He comes running. And he holds our tired, worn out bodies in his arms. And he celebrates our return. He doesn't make us work for our status again, but immediately places us back into sonship. And restores us as sons and daughters. Let's go ahead and stand together this morning. Father, I pray that if there are those in the room here this morning, there are those in the room here this morning who have felt that burden to earn their place in the kingdom or who maybe like the prodigal felt like they've had to rehearse this line and get all their ducks in a row before they come back home. Father, I pray that today they would encounter the running father. God, that today they would encounter the God the Father who embraces them. Even though they have run from him, even though they have disobeyed, even though they have pushed him away at times, God, I pray that they would find the Father who pulls them close and holds their tired, worn out bodies and hugs them and kisses them and pulls them back into the family. Doesn't make them become servants, but places them at their rightful place at the table. Jesus, I pray that today that they, those in this room would experience the love of God, the love of a father. And maybe there's those here in the church this morning who are doing all of the right things. They're not out living wild. They're not prodigal. They're not, they're not wasting their inheritance but there's still something on the inside of them that feels like they have to work and they have to earn their place at the table. That they are primarily servants in the kingdom and not sons. Father, I pray that today they once again would encounter the love of the Father and they would hear their Father say that all that I have 
is already yours. All that I have, it's always been here, available to you. Because it's not your goodness that earns it. It's mine. God, I thank you that you are a good father. And Jesus, oh, we're going to celebrate our earthly fathers today. God, we celebrate you as our Abba, as our father today. And we honor you, Jesus. And we love you, Father. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more messages like this or information about our church, please visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org.